Welcome back to Uneducated, the show where we feel dumb so you don't have to. Today, I am joined by a black, queer, non-binary student who has dedicated their life to using their voice to generate positive social change, E. Smith. Hey, how are you? Hi, I'm good. I'm so glad to be here. I'm so excited to have you. What what a year you have had. And I guess technically this year, I could say that to literally anyone. It has been a year for everyone. But truly, you have had a year. I met you, I guess, a little over a year now at the 2019 Glisten Respect Awards, where you were being honored and receiving the Student Advocate of the Year Award. And now you are off to college, but not any old college. You are at freaking Harvard. <laughs> so congrats on that. That is huge. Yeah, thank you. Um, okay, before we get started in you educating a- us a little bit, we have to get uneducated, and it's time for the trivia question. Are you set? Yep, I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay, question is, which two U.S. states don't observe daylight savings time? <sighs> I know one of them. I know Arizona is one. But I cannot, for the life of me, remember the second one. And I know I know this one, so this is going to drive me nuts. Alaska? Does that sound right? <laughs> yeah, I Arizona is better than I can do. I have no idea. I'm going to say Hawaii, because sure. <laughs> oh, I th- I think you're right. I know it's Arizona and something. And I think, uh, I don't know if it's Alaska or Hawaii. I'll go with Arizona and Alaska. You're adding in Hawaii. I'm pretty sure you're right. Let's check. You are right. It is Arizona and Hawaii. So that was a little team effort we did today. (laughs) Cool. Well done. I learned something today. I didn't know Arizona didn't celebrate it. I know. I don't really understand. One, the purpose of it anymore just confuses me. And I don't understand how some places can and can't. Well, I don't know why I'm saying celebrate it. Celebrate? Is that the word? Observe. Right. Does Arizona like shift time zones? observe yeah do they shift time zones depending on whether everyone else is in daylight savings time or i don't know interesting because i i think arizona is on the border of time zones but yeah yeah it is so i'm like does it throw them into a different one i don't know that's something i'm gonna look up after this i will share on my instagram story because now i need to know i'm like what are they even doing over there So I have yet to talk to somebody who started their freshman year of college during the year of the pandemic and everything that 2020 entails of going to school, not going to school. How has that been for you? Have you, you're in a dorm, right? Yeah. So I'm staying in a dorm, which is great. Um, Not everyone was allowed back on campus. So I'm really glad that I at least got to have this semester on campus. Um, that's been really nice just to be able to move and experience a different environment. Um, And I feel really grateful for that because I think, you know, with quarantining and everything, like it feels really easy to just get stuck. Um, Like life just feels like an endless zoom call. Um, So I'm really grateful for like the change in environment and being able to have that. Uh, All of my classes are online. So that's, it's fine. You know, it's not, it's not, yeah. I think, what I had imagined ever in terms of how starting college would be. Um, and I don't think that's the ideal for me. But I think this year is something that we're all just learning to take in stride and figure it out day by day. 
Totally. It's just like, it's all the new norm. It's well, I guess you graduated high school during, gosh, this year went by so quickly. You did graduating high school in a pandemic and starting school in a pandemic. So your big major milestones as a young adult were very unique. Yeah. Yeah. But just rolling with the punches. At least I really think not being be in a dorm would be hard. I feel like a lot of that freshman experience of being at school and meeting new people and like people that are like-minded and people that are very different from you, that is such a key part of being a freshman in college. So at least you're getting little tidbits of that. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So going back to high school, so I was, I researched you a bunch after the Glisten Awards just because I was so impressed with you. I had the honor of sitting next to you at the Glisten Awards and I was just so impressed by who you are and how comfortable you seemed in yourself. And it just made me think back to who I was in high school and it was no one near as confident as you are. So I was just I really just admire you and was impressed. And as I researched you, only became more impressed because I met you as a, you were a senior in high school. And then I learned that just as a freshman in high school is when you brought back your school's GSA. You got to high school, realized that there was no longer a GSA. So you were like, damn, I'm going to create my own. Can you tell me a little bit about that process of reinvigorating the GSA and how that came to be? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think I, I didn't imagine that this was something that would still be having such an impact on my life four years later. Um, I came into high school. I knew that I was queer. I think I was identifying as bi at the time. I think, I don't, I don't remember. I don't know. I was queer in some <laughs> sense at the time when I came into high school, didn't know any other like queer people my age. And I was like, I want queer friends. Um, and so that was the the strategy going into it. That's why I looked for a GSA. It's like, where, where can I find them? Where can I meet these people? Um, <laughs> and so I went through my school's website and I found the old GSA website and like a chocolate fundraiser from 2013 or something like that. Um, but it turned out that the person who had formerly sponsored the GSA or the teacher advisor, I guess, uh, was my AP music theory teacher freshman year. So I talked to her and I was like, hey, you know, do you think we could restart the GSA? And she was like, yeah, sure, if people are interested in that. So I went around during lunch one day with a clipboard and I just went up to everyone who like looked kind of queer, um, if they had colored hair or a rainbow pin on their bag or anything. I'd be <laughs> like, hey, so trying to start a GSA. Help um, yeah, so it didn't take long. I got a bunch of people to like put their name and email address down. Um, and then we kind of just had a meeting and started a GSA. We had officer elections and I ran for president and got elected president. And then I got elected president for four years. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it just kind of naturally grew. I don't think I... I expected it to be a thing that I would be involved in or as, you know, dedicated to as I was. So that was, yeah, it was a journey. I love that that started as you just kind of looking for friends and looking for people that you had something in common with. And I think you even having the courage to just go up to people is massive. Like, my God, I I didn't even have any slight clue of who I really was my freshman year, let alone to be able to walk up to people with conviction and be like, hey, I think this would be cool. And I think you might want to be a part of it too. 
And that probably helped so many people who would have never had the guts to do the same thing you did. And then you just ran with it and bossed it out and was the president for four years, which is incredible. But it went so far beyond just the social aspect. I mean, you were writing to government. You did so many different things and just organized little like get-togethers. How did you become such an advocate? How did you cross that line of, okay, this is just something for fun to, I really want to make a difference? When did that start for you? Yeah, again, I think it just kind of happened. I don't I don't feel like I ever had a moment where I was just like, I'm going to be an activist now or whatever. Um, I think my parents are like they're politically engaged. Um, they're not super activisty, I guess, but you know, they're engaged enough to where I was aware of the world. I used to listen to so much NPR. I I had NPR when I like got dressed in the morning when I was doing my homework like it was definitely something that was just running through my day um and I think I was just aware of political issues and within the GSA it was sort of like we need to have activities to do during club meetings you know like to some extent it's fun to just come and talk and hang out but at some point you need some structure you need something Um, And so I think also in doing that research, that led me to some of the activism I was engaging in. Uh, But also I was a freshman in high school in 2016, and that's when the election was happening. Um, And I think that also came with a lot of advocacy efforts. And not only was there the presidential election, it was also during a time. um, So I'm from Austin, Texas. It was during the Texas legislative session. And they were considering a bathroom bill that would have barred trans people from using the bathroom that aligned with their gender identity, as well as some other like anti-queer legislation. So that was definitely high on my radar. It was in the news all the time. Um, And it just kind of made sense to get involved in that. Um, And again, like it just kind of continued growing as I would, you know, I would write a letter and then I like did an essay contest and then that turned into me speaking at the Capitol and like, all of these different things just kind of snowballed. Um, So now I'm here. I think that's the best way kind of for it to happen, that you were just looking to find friends, looking to just follow things that you were interested in. And then those showed passions. And then you started to see that there were certain laws and there were certain leaders in whether it be in your school or in your government, local and at a larger scale that were contradicting the things that you really cared about. And you kind of get to a point where you're like, well, if I care about this, I have to do something about it. And I have to protect myself and these people around me that are my new friends and my new family. So I think that's so powerful. And I'm so impressed that you were able to get so many people behind you. As you mentioned, you were in Central Texas. I know Austin is a little bit more open and liberal, but it's still Texas. Did you face any struggles leading a GSA in a very conservative state? Definitely. I think that Yeah, being near Austin is definitely a benefit. Like they call it in the blueberry in the tomato soup. That is Texas. I don't know why people are putting blueberries in their tomato soup, but (laughs) that is the metaphor that I have heard. Um, Yeah, so, you know, Austin itself is, it's fairly liberal. I think 
you know, it usually votes blue and everything. Uh, I lived in the suburbs, which is more conservative. Um, it's still I, like it's not awful. It's not living. Some of the rural towns can get, you know, really rough. Um, but I think still like being in Texas uh, and the culture around like conservatism absolutely had an impact. Um, even from just the religious standpoint, I think that like Southern Christianity especially was really prevalent in, in society as a whole, like, but also in my school, um, I've had people pray for me because they were sad that I was going to go to hell for being gay. Um, all kinds of just like, you know, microaggressions, uh, being trans was also really difficult. Like people would just tell me that I wasn't trans, which like, Thank you for figuring that out. For I, yeah, <laughs> you know, I've had people. You're telling me what I. Yeah, am? people like just trying to explain my identity. I remember uh, I did the day of silence, and this kid just kept talking at me about why I was a lesbian, um, and I don't identify as a lesbian, but he decided that I do. So, <laughs> um, just a lot of like that kind of behavior. Um, so I think, yeah, part of it is just like, I was in high school, people in high school are, they're stupid. Like we acknowledge it. It's fine. Um, and then also like being in the South and being black and queer specifically, uh, definitely didn't make things super easy. And I also did face pushback from my school on issues pertaining to the GSA, um, so like we did a professional development training for all of my school's faculty. And in that we were just doing some sort of like basic one-on-one training about how to support LGBTQ plus students in your classrooms. Super easy, like ask people their names and pronouns, be inclusive in your curriculum, all of that. One thing we mentioned was that you can put a safe space sign or sticker or anything um, on your classroom. It can even just be a rainbow flag uh, in order to indicate that like this is a safe place for LGBTQ plus students. You can come here and feel comfortable and that's fine. Um, and teachers were really not receptive to that. And that was such a surprise to me, like out of all the things that we discussed during that panel, I didn't think that safe space signs would be the thing that made waves. Um, but teachers were really upset about it. There was a survey that was sent out afterwards and just a whole bunch of feedback about like teachers didn't want to be discriminated against because they didn't support the LGBTQ plus community or like they didn't want to be targeted or it would create a divide between the faculty and all of this. Uh, so in response, my school ended up banning all like rainbows, safe space signs, and mentions of the LGBTQ plus community. Uh, And then we had to like fight them about that for a year. (laughs) Um, And then, yeah, it it was a little over a year. And after that, I was, I did another training that teachers could opt into. So I think only like 50 people might've done that one. Uh, And teachers who completed that training were allowed to put a sign on their classrooms. So not the most ideal situation, but that really like caused some waves, which was, it was a surprise to me. That was definitely not something that I expected to be an issue. And then it turned out to be one. Yeah, my gosh, that is so, that feels so easy when you're telling a teacher who one of their sole jobs is to keep their students safe. And you're telling them, hi, can you put up 
a sign to allow, to let students know this is a safe place. They're going to be protected here. And they're trying to bring in their religious beliefs or I don't, I don't even understand what they're trying to protect there. Because even if you don't agree necessarily with something specific, you should agree that you want your students safe. And that's very confusing to me. You said only 50 faculty members came whenever they were just allowed to opt in. How many faculty members were there? Because I went to a small school. I'm like, that's everybody, right? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So at the original training, there were about 300 faculty. Oh, okay. All right. So yeah, big, big drop off. And so I guess that's, I don't, I can't do math, but whatever, a sixth of the faculty. Yeah. That is extremely frustrating. And I've, especially as a student, I mean, we grow up in a world where we're told to respect our elders and I am so relieved that that's changing. Um, I, I don't think it was at the Glisten Awards, um, the year that um, I almost said that we were there together where I just met you, where we sat next to each other. I think it was a year before Carrie Washington gave this incredible speech. I was like bawling my eyes out and she was talking about how adults need to stop trying to teach kids. Kids are teaching adults. It's it's that we have it all backwards. And it was such a moving speech. And it really kind of clicked for me that we are doing things in reverse. There is so much that young adults can teach adults and at any level that we're just not respecting. And I feel like most young adults are too terrified to stand up to anyone older than them, especially someone in power like a teacher. How? Where are you getting all this courage as a young kid to just be like, no, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to stand up for what I believe in and have my peers yelling in my face on a day of silence and I'm not going to break the silence even though they're saying such hurtful things to me and even whenever my teachers don't support me where did you gain all of this courage to stand up to them I think it's just kind of like knowing that I'm right I don't know like yeah, yeah. I don't know I wouldn't consider myself like particularly courageous or anything like it it just <laughs> is what it is like I don't know. The fact that my school banned rainbows is just ridiculous. Like, I'm not I'm not going to let <laughs> I want rainbows in school. Everyone should have more rainbows. You can't ban that. Um, yeah. So it just sort of was what had to be done. Like, yeah, I don't know. It, it just happened. Like, I don't think you give yourself enough credit. I think that alone shows how confident and courageous you are. There are so many people who would doubt themselves and question themselves if they were put in your shoes of all of that pushback. And I love that you said, I I just knew I was right. I knew that this was right. And you knew how ridiculous it was to be like, no rainbows. It's like rainbows are like a, a symbol for little kids of joy and happiness. And you don't want a rainbow that that definitely puts you in the wrong. And I think you having that, maybe conviction would be the proper term over courage. Because even when you were scared, you still had your conviction. And I think that is so impressive and such a difficult quality to have. And I think it's a learned 
behavior and quality and to have that at such a young age, I think is what makes you so good at advocating and standing up for what you believe in and what, like you said, you know is right. It's really powerful. So now you're in college. Are you still, how are you advocating now? Do you have any ties to the GSA now? Are you starting different organizations in your school? Sort of. Um, my, I think my advocacy and activism have definitely died down a little bit. Um, I think just with COVID-19 and transitioning to college and moving halfway across the country and everything, like life is a little crazy right now. I'm trying to breathe. Um, so haven't started any new organizations recently or anything. Um, and I'm also, you know, living in a different place. I don't know what the needs of this community are. I don't, know what that looks like. I don't know what my place is yet. So I'm also trying to take some time to learn before jumping into too much there. Um, I am sort of still involved with things back home. Uh, The organization I started, the Central Texas GSA Coalition, is establishing another branch uh, in East Texas to cover like the Houston area. So that's exciting. Um, I've done a couple of like trainings and panels and things like that. Um, But for the most part, I've kind of slowed down a little. I think it's also really difficult because everything is so volatile right now. And so, you know, I don't know what things are going to look like in a month. And it's really hard to plan for the future or to start a project and be able to coordinate that when it's like, you know, I don't know where I'm going to be living next semester or if we're going to have a vaccine and people are going to be back out or if everything's still going to be virtual and how that works. Um, so I think I'm kind of a little bit out of it. It's hard for me to, I don't know, just figure out how to be useful when I can't plan ahead. So yeah, just mostly like doing school and stuff. Good. You, you deserve to just do school. You started like a hundred organizations before you were 18. Uh, you brought up the Central Texas GSA Coalition, if I said that correctly. Um, What brought that about? Was that just combining different GSAs all over Central Texas? And what what made you want to start that? So I think sort of what had happened with my GSA was uh, it was it was really difficult to run. And part of the problem was that throughout the course of my high school career, we went through 10 different teacher GSA advisors. And so there was a lot of turnover. There was a lot of inner like club drama. We had one member who was really transphobic and like wouldn't leave. Um, And so that caused a lot of problems. And so it was difficult within the GSA to sort of like maintain momentum and get enough people to work on projects and like fundraise and plan things out and get stuff done. Um, And it felt like I was the one doing a lot of the lifting Um, Even when we would, you know, elect people into other officer positions and give them roles, like things just weren't getting done. Um, And I had friends at other schools who were having similar issues of just like, yeah, my GSA has three people who come to meetings regularly, and it's hard to do a lot with three people. Um, And so the idea for the GSA coalition was just that, like, if we if we put all of our groups of three people together, then we have a lot more than three people. Um, And that way we can sort of just build our capacity and share resources and have more people to work on events and fundraise and everything like that. Um, And so that's where the idea came from. And when I started it, I did every school, middle and high school within a 30 mile radius of my high school. 
So I went to all of the school's websites and I searched and I found their clubs and organizations. And then I sent random emails to the club like sponsors or whatever. I was like, hey, we're starting this thing. There's going to be a meeting on this day. We'll have food there. Can you come? (laughs) And then people came (laughs) and we had like educators. We had parents. We had uh, people who were homeschooled. There were plenty of students. Um, And then also like people who worked for other community organizations. Uh, So there's like an LGBTQ plus center called Out Youth and they sent people. Uh, Austin Pride, the just like local pride organization had people. Um, And being able to connect with them was also really great. And just building that community support for students. Um, Yeah, so I think that was sort of the process of getting that started and uh, building this new community of people who are involved in student LGBTQ plus advocacy. That is incredible. I really hope you take a step back every now and then and recognize what a massive endeavor that was to take on. And I I don't know if it's because I come from like the millennial generation where we were afraid to like call and order a pizza. Well, you don't have to call and order a pizza anymore, but like we couldn't call our own doctors to set appointments. The fact that you were just like going through websites to get all these people together and it was genius. There's so much more power in numbers. And if you were all struggling to get enough people, it's like, well, I know there's more people out there. We just have to broaden our circle. And there was probably tons of benefits that came from that of people experiencing different things and in different situations. I mean, even as we discussed in the beginning of the podcast, although Austin is typically very blue, much of the rest of Central Texas is pretty red. So it was probably really beneficial for those students in those other other areas to connect with somebody and a group of people who were in Austin and to have those resources as well. So kudos to you. I am so impressed that you started that and I am so glad that it still exists. That is so powerful and I'm sure it just helps endless people every single day. So yes, you absolutely deserve to take a little break and focus on your school. (laughs) I saw um, on your Instagram, I want to see, I thought I had the picture up. I don't have it up anymore. And I want you to kind of explain what's going on in this picture. (laughs) Don't be scared. It's not scary. (laughs) Okay. There is a picture of you. Actually, I think you have captions on here. I could just read what it says. Oh no, this one doesn't. Um, I believe it's at Halloween. You are in an incredible outfit and you're holding a sign that says candy and condoms. Can you give me a little background story with this? Yeah. Uh, So I did a candy and condoms drive thing event on Halloween. It was a really fun time. Um, There's a nonprofit called Advocates for Youth and they have a partnership with Trojan Condoms called the Condom Collective. Um, And my partner sent me the link at like 11 p.m. one day. The application was due at 11.59 that same day. And I filled it out just like on a whim. Of course you did. They send you 500 condoms. And who doesn't want 500 condoms? (laughs) Um, And so I filled it out and I didn't hear anything back. But one day I just like got a notification that a package had been delivered. And so I go and pick it up. And then I had 500 (laughs) condoms. Um, And then I had to decide what to do Um, and Halloween was coming up and so my partner and I sort of just worked together to like come up with these uh, condom bags Uh, we ordered some like black paper bags we ordered stickers temporary tattoos the little like plastic jumping spiders um, and then like allergen friendly candy 
and each bag we just put four condoms uh you know candy stickers tattoos everything uh put them in and yeah we just had these bags <laughs> um and so then on halloween i w- went out and stood on the steps of the like widener library which is at the center of campus um it was icy people kept like almost dying on the steps so that was not the greatest location could have could have planned better for that next time um but yeah people just came out and picked up their bags of condoms and candy we ended up giving out 356 uh condoms that day so that was great um yeah it was just a lot of fun uh it was great that is incredible that is so amazing and like what a great use for 500 condoms why not spread a little sexual health education around halloween i guess this year people aren't like out partying and drinking well it's still college i'm sure there are some people who are still out and about was that perceived well on i don't know what the harvard campus is like i got to be honest i think my perception of harvard harvard is just based off of like movies and random shit. So I'm sure I have a skewed perception, but was everyone open to receiving that and excited about it? Or were some people a little like, why are you giving me condoms? I mean, I think people were excited about it. I like, I sent messages out in like on a couple of email lists and in some group chats and put it on social media. So most of the people who came out were like stopping by specifically to pick up condoms. Um, I might have gotten a different response had I tried to go like, you know, door to door or anything and hand them out. Um, But there were plenty of people who messaged me and were like, hey, uh, I don't think I can make it out today, but can you come like drop off condoms at my dorm or whatever? And so I did that. Um, So I think that, I don't know, at least enough people were interested in it. I don't know how the campus community as a whole feels about like sexual health and being, you know, sex positive or anything like that. Um, but there were definitely like enough people who were interested in participating and being a part of that. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting once you get to physically go to class to kind of see what the community at Harvard is like. Like, how diverse is it? How what do people think there? I like I'm very intrigued what the culture at Harvard is like and. I guess you probably don't know yet because you're not getting to meet a ton of new people. What are you studying? Um, I don't have a declared major yet. I think it might end up being sociology and art, film and visual studies, but we'll see. I have a year to figure it out. Yeah, honestly, that my best advice I can give anyone with college is take your time. I feel like too often people try to get pushed into knowing exactly what you want to do. And then that just leaves you kind of like stressed and overwhelmed if that's not what you want to do. At my school, we had to take courses, like not minor in something, but take a large amount of courses in a subdivision that you were interested in as well, just in case you ended up changing your mind, you had something to fall back on. So Yes. No shame in being undeclared. Stay that way as long as you possibly can until you find out what you want to do because you clearly have many, many talents. So I'm sure when the right one presents itself for where you want to move forward with your schooling, you will find it. What are you hoping the community at Harvard is like? Like, I'm sure, did you have any reservations going to Harvard and it not being very open and inclusive? I don't really think I had reservations. Um, I don't know. I feel like Harvard is 
pretty diverse. Like, obviously, there are the people whose, you know, great grandparents went to Harvard, and they're very rich and have trust funds and go on ski trips to Vail or whatever. Um, but also, you know, there are plenty of people of color. Um, I think their affirmative action policies are pretty effective um, in getting a really diverse base of students. So I think going in, I was just excited to find that new community and to be able to meet more people. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I really had any concerns uh, going into the community. You're like, if it's not what I wanted to be, I'm going to educate the shit out of these people and make them better. So it's fine. <laughs> so you mentioned that when you started high school in what year was this? 2014, I believe. Um, you labeled yourself. 2016. 2016. Yeah, sorry. You labeled yourself maybe as bi. You don't really remember. What was your journey of finding your identity like? Because you clearly are somebody who seems very sure of themselves and comfortable with themselves, but everyone has their own little path of discovering who they are. What kind of led you to that? Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure I was one of those kids who was like always going to be queer. <laughs> um, I have this <laughs> weirdly, weirdly, uh, I don't know, I feel like I don't remember a lot of my childhood, but I have this very like distinct memory of being in second grade and we had like a teacher and an assistant teacher in class. I don't remember if this was related to a conversation that we were already having, but I asked the assistant teacher if two girls could get married. And she told me that we don't talk about that. And then I just kind of forgot about it for a while. Like I wasn't, I don't feel like I was really aware that queer people existed. Like it wasn't, it just wasn't a part of my life, I guess, in elementary school. Um, I do remember when the gay marriage decision came out, like that felt like a big deal to me. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, so I don't know at what point I sort of like discovered my identity. I think, you know, as I got older and started spending more time on the internet, I spent so much time on BuzzFeed. Um, I definitely <laughs> did the whole like, am I gay quiz and took a whole bunch of those. Um, but I don't know at what point I sort of like started to pick identity labels or anything like that. But I know I started coming out as bi in seventh grade. Um, that wasn't super well received. Um, and then, yeah, I remember in eighth grade, I was definitely I like queer in some sense. I was out. Um, and then I went, I think from bi to pan. And then I'm pretty sure by freshman year, I was identifying as queer. And sometime between freshman and sophomore year, I started coming out as non-binary when you came out originally as bi and it wasn't perceived very well, was that by your peers or your family who wasn't perceiving that well? Yeah, by my peers. Like I, I had a boyfriend at the time and I came out to him and he was like, what happened? That's not okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was oh, great. God. Um, but like, yeah, it was just middle schoolers were weird about it. So yeah, kids being dumb kids, just not understanding anything different than what they've been told. And like you said, when you asked, what was it, your your kindergarten teacher or preschool teacher? Second grade. I love yeah. that you you were so aware that it was like, you're like, I don't know what queer is, but I know it's part of me. I know this is going to affect me. And I love that. I feel like so many people have those little moments as a young kid being like, extra interested or just kind of like knowing it deep in your soul of like, 
this has something to do with me. I don't know what it is yet because I'm still a child and I don't have an attraction to anything yet, but I know it's going to it's going to hold some level of importance. So, you now identify as non-binary, is that correct? Yeah. Can you explain just in your own words, in your own feelings what being non-binary means to you because I feel like there is such a misconception of what non-binary is. I think so many people think it means that someone has to kind of look androgynous or they have to like look this very specific way in order to label themselves as non-binary. And I think people just don't understand it. So if you would enlighten enlighten the people, please. (laughs) And yeah, for sure. Like non-binary looks very different for everyone who holds that identity. Um, I think for me, like, I just don't feel, I don't, I don't feel like a woman that like, that is not me, that label. Nope. (laughs) Like it just, I don't know if if someone calls me a woman, I'm like, are you, are you talking about the same person? Like, I don't, it just very much does not fit my identity. Um, And I don't really have any desire to be a man. Um, Like, I'm just trying to live my life. I don't know. I don't really like restrictions. I don't like boxes. Um, And so I think I just like the freedom that being non-binary allows Um, I also just don't understand the gender binary, like intellectually, I don't know. I like, I don't, I don't know how someone could just identify with the gender they were assigned at birth and like do that and feel super comfortable in that. Like, great. Love that. Love that for you. Not my experience. Um, So I think it's just, yeah, I want to be able to be outside of a box. I don't want to be limited by a gender identity. Um, I don't, you know, I think anyone of any identity can present whatever way they want to. Um, But I don't, like for me, I guess, I don't want to just be like a woman subverting female gender roles. I just want to be my own person. Um, So it just, yeah, it feels more freeing to me. It feels more comfortable. Um, yeah, I just like being able to just be. I think that is a perfect explanation. And I don't think anyone can really argue that. It's like, I just want to be me without you having this perception of who I am before you get to know me. And why is why are you having a different perception of me if you know that I am a woman or a man? Like, why does that change who you see me as. And I think that's really a big root of the problem. And I'm so intrigued to see what our society looks like in the next, I don't know, probably 10 to 20 years. I think there's going to be a massive change, especially with the young adults of today being the adults in 10 to 20 years who are really having this mindset more of like, I don't like being told that I have to be a certain person because of what's between my legs. It doesn't sit well with me that I have to like certain things or look a certain way or dress a certain way. And I don't understand how somebody can't get that. And that's coming, like I am somebody who, I I like being a woman. I was born a woman. When I hear that term, I massively identify with it. And then whenever you start putting terms on what being a woman means, that makes me feel uncomfortable being a woman because I'm like, well, I'm not that. And I'm not that either. 
So does that mean I'm like less of a woman or that I can identify with that? And I think we're getting to a place where we're really changing what it means to be a certain gender. And that's why I I think a lot of people don't feel comfortable picking a gender because it, it then makes you have to be all these other things that you're not. And that doesn't sit well. Forcing somebody to be someone they're not isn't comfortable. So yeah, I think you put it perfectly. You just want to be. And I don't really understand how anyone can have a problem with that, but you'd be very surprised these days people find problems with. (laughs) So I want to hear a little bit about what your biggest lesson from 2020 was. I think this is a really interesting question for different people because as much as it was one of the hardest years, in my opinion, it was one of, if not the most important year for almost everyone in their life so, thus far. Um, so what was your personal biggest lesson that you learned this year? Yeah, I think that I'm just learning more to go with the flow. Um, and I think that's something that I was doing to an extent anyway, but I did, you know, I like to plan and, you know, think ahead and everything. Um, and that's, that's not our reality now anymore. And so just kind of learning to like take things in stride um, and get used to whatever is happening that day. Like something weird is going to come up in the news and it's going to be what it is. (laughs) Like, uh, yeah, just being able to sort of let things go. Um, And I think I'm also learning to like rest more. Um, I think with the pandemic and just everything it like I've come to the realization that nothing is guaranteed. Like the things that we plan for and work really hard on, um, they can just go away. Like they can change. And so totally. I don't know, it doesn't really make sense to sort of like sacrifice mental health and rest and well being uh, in order to achieve these things that might go away if there's a pandemic or a tornado or something else random. Um, yeah, so I think, I don't know, somehow this year has just made it seem like some things are less important. Um, yeah, now I'm just kind of trying to live my life to the best of my ability. So, a hundred percent. Like, nothing's guaranteed, nothing's certain, nothing's set in stone. Do you find peace in that, or do you think that is scary, or both? I think that I am choosing to find a peace in it. It's a little bit scary there we because, go. <laughs> like, I am in college, I'm trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. Like, you know, I feel like this is an important period to, like, I don't think that what you do in college determines what you have to do for the rest of your life, but it has an impact. I think that it's important. Um, And so that's a little scary to me. The fact that things are so volatile, I can't, I can't guarantee what the world is going to look like. Like, am I going to end up in a career where, you know, we're all working remotely for the rest of forever? Like, Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, you know, it's just like, I, I, I can't, I can't do anything. So I think that part is stressful, but I also know mm-hmm. that I don't have control over it. So I'm just kind of chilling. Like, um, I could stress out about it, but I also know that I can't fix it. Uh, so I'll save my stress for thing. Like I'll save my stress for the assignments that I haven't done, you know, like, exactly. yeah. yeah. So I think it's it's scary. It's something that I don't I don't love that this is the way that things are right now. Um, but I'm also just trying to 
kind of like let it go. Um, it is what it is. The world's weird. Things are going to happen. It's not, I can't do anything. So I'm just going to, you know, watch TikToks and do my homework. <laughs> <laughs> and that is such a healthy mindset to have. And I think easier said than done, but I hope everyone really takes that on board listening and really hears that, that there's just no point stressing the things that you can't control and you have no idea what stress tomorrow is going to bring. So just do the best you can. Focus on your own health, your own well-being, your mental health, the people you care about, the things you care about. And yeah, shit's going to happen. It is absolutely going to keep happening. Hopefully we won't. Hopefully next year we'll have a little bit of light and a little bit of happiness, but nothing's guaranteed. So just keep rolling with it. Um, I want to ask you some questions before we run out of time. I ask on my Instagram story before every episode for questions from the audience. And if it will load, I have a few for you. Um, I think we covered quite a bit of it. Oh, this one I thought was interesting. If you have advice, someone asked how to use they, them pronouns in corporate world. I'm guessing that they kind of mean how to introduce that or how to like make that a common practice in a corporate world that might be kind of a little behind on times. Do you have any advice on that? Yeah. Um, so I think a, like one of the best ways to go about that is just advocating for whatever sort of like professional development training. If you have staff retreats of any kind, I feel like most offices now do have some kind of annual training or something of that nature, whether it be like diversity, equity, and inclusion focused, or just team building or anything like that. Um, so within those, you can ask for gender inclusivity, LGBTQ plus training, whatever. Um, if there are people in your area or who have worked with your organization in the past that would like come in to deliver those, um, that's great. If you want to like design your own training, you also can absolutely do that. Um, so I think that's a great way. Like if your company organization or whatever is receptive to having that advocating that every company include pronouns and gender and all of that in their inclu inclusivity trainings and everything. I think that's really important. And also just starting the process with yourself, whether that be including your pronouns in your email signature and encouraging everyone to put their pronouns in their Zoom name or introduce themselves with their pronouns within meetings and all of that. Um, even if no one in the room is using they, them pronouns or any other neo pronouns or anything, uh, just starting getting people used to understanding that you can't tell someone's pronouns by looking at them and that they should be asking and be receptive to that is also really important. So, yeah, I would just say, like, on the small scale, if you have friends at work, get them to put their pronouns in their signatures and all of that. And then on a larger scale, advocate for company-wide trainings around pronoun usage and anything else related to gender. That is such great advice. I recently heard very similar advice, just to reiterate yours, that we need to try to get everyone to be sharing their pronouns for, because for so long, it was just reserved for people who were not using the pronouns that they maybe necessarily were born with having to share them. And it was just 
harder to then share that and ask if everyone made it a practice to share their preferred pronouns or to use they, them in general, whether you use your pronouns that you were born with or not, it is so much more helpful and makes it just makes people so used to it. And I think being uncomfortable or having something unknown is the problem for a lot of people. So when you're working in the corporate environment with a lot of older people who have never even heard different pronouns used, take out the guesswork, take out the uncomfortable feeling for them and just have everyone doing it. I think that was a great point. If you have your friends doing it, ask them to share their pronouns. Great idea for in your email signature. That's actually something I haven't done. I've added it to my bio on social media, but it's not in my email signature and that would be incredibly helpful. So thank you. I'm going to start doing that as well. Okay, last big question for you. If you could give your younger self, you can pick any age, some advice, what would it be? I don't know what age this advice would apply to. Um, but I would, I don't know, give myself advice to like, be more social. Um, like, I wish I weren't so serious in high school. Like, I don't really have close <laughs> friends. I don't have, yeah, I like don't talk to anyone from high school really. Um, and I regret that. Like, I, I don't know. I wish that I had more of a social life. Um, I spent, like, I was a straight A student. I spent a lot of time on schoolwork, taking all of the AP classes all of the time, didn't sleep, did, you know, all of the activism work and everything. Um, and so, yeah, I would have just given myself advice to, like, I don't know, chill out a little bit and, like, maybe that would have affected the trajectory of my life. Like maybe I wouldn't be at Harvard, but that's fine. Um, yeah, I wish I, I don't know. I wish I had had more of a, like a high school experience, I guess. Just, I don't know, making friends and like going to parties and whatever high school <laughs> do. Um, and I wasn't like completely antisocial or anything, but I do wish that I, I had more like close connections and more fun. So, yeah. That's really good advice. And I felt the same way. Um, it's one of my biggest regrets in life. And I think it came with, for me, instead of like throwing myself into overachieving, it was just because I wasn't comfortable in who I was. So I didn't want to open up to other people. And unfortunately for me, that spilled into college as well. So you still have your entire college career left. So I'm glad that you learned that sooner rather than later. It's never too late to change those things. And you're so wonderful. I am sure you have no problems being social and making a billion friends at school. I wish you all the best. Thank you so much for being here. Can you please let the people know where they can continue to follow your journey? Absolutely. Uh, I would definitely love it if you followed me on Instagram. It's at E underscore K-I-O-M-I. Uh, you can also check out my website, eksmith.org. Thank you so much, E. You are so wonderful. I wish you all the best, and I will see you all next week. Bye. Mm-hmm.